So here's a question, very basic question. And you guys know the answer, but let's pretend you don't know the answer. Here's the question. Are you a good person? Are you a good person? Would you say Maddie Mac basically? Uh, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. So this is the question, are you a good person? And so I want to actually hear from people. Are you a good person? You were shaking your head? You're not a good person. Okay. Any other good people in the room? Sometimes. Tex. Tex is a good person. Sometimes. Tex just raised his hand. What's Tim say? Sometimes. Tim said sometimes. All right. Let's go to Mark chapter 10, uh, starting from verse 17. Now, we're looking at Jesus through the Gospels. We want to hear what Jesus actually says, and we also want to hear what Jesus does not say. Those are very important. Mark chapter 10. And as he, that's Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy runs up to Jesus and kneels before him. So obviously this dude knows who Jesus is. This is kind of midway, almost 75% into his ministry. Jesus has gotten a reputation for healing people, raising people from the dead. He went face to face with the Pharisees, all that good stuff. So there's been all this talk about this Jesus person, and this guy has been in the crowds, you know, checking his Facebook, seeing CNN, and he's hearing about this Jesus guy. There he is walking around minding his own business and people saying he's here. So this dude runs after Jesus. That's what it says. A man runs up and kneels before him. Man, I've been waiting to see you. I finally get the chance to meet you. I'm going to run up to you and kneel before you. Now, other passages that tell the story says he was young. He's a young guy. So he's kind of like Jacob's age. Okay? But he's running and he kneels before Jesus. Now, this is very uncommon, actually, in their culture. Now, rabbis were absolutely looked upon with a ton of respect and all that stuff. The teachers were looked upon with a ton of respect. But people wouldn't generally run up to them and bow before them in public. This says that this dude really believes that Jesus is something special. He believes that whatever Jesus has is something that no other teacher has. I mean, think about this. He's exposed to Pharisaic teachings. The Pharisees are there. The Sadducees are there. The scribes are there. He bypasses all those people. He wants to talk to Jesus. This is a person who, uh, you know, in certain church circles would be called a seeker. Ever heard of that term, seeker? Seeker-sensitive church? Okay? This guy is a seeker. He wants God, and really, he doesn't even care how he looks in front of people. Because he's kneeling down. I mean, we've got some folks here, um, you know, sometimes during worship, they'll get the impulse to kneel. And then there's that battle in your mind, like, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm going to look weird. I'm going to look silly. Not this guy. He doesn't care how he looks in front of people. He does this in public. Doesn't, doesn't even do it in church. This guy kind of puts us to shame at some level. Don't be too ashamed, though. All right, let's keep reading. He kneels before Jesus, and look how he introduces his question. Good teacher. He goes up to Jesus, and the first thing out of his mouth is, you're a good guy, man. 
you are a really good guy and you are a teacher. Now, teacher in that time period meant a lot more than just a guy who transfers information to you. A lot of times in that period, a teacher is somebody that you devoted your entire life to. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was almost bragging rights. You'd say, I studied under Gamaliel, or I studied under this person, I studied under that person. So teacher isn't just your math teacher. Teacher is somebody you're devoting your entire life to. And he says, good teacher. You're a good person who I would be willing to devote my life to. Look, I'm on my knees in front of you in front of this crowd of people. Here's the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question. Now, if you look at every religion in the world, if you look at even um, atheism, this is the question. How do we live forever? Okay, you say, well, how is an atheist? What? Like, I was just listening to this thing by a couple atheists yesterday, and they said, look, I'm going to die, you're going to die. The only thing you can do is build a legacy. The way you live forever is you do something awesome on the planet, and then when you're dead, people will still talk about you. Julius Caesar, George Washington, Napoleon. Of course, what they're not realizing is a lot of those people were horrible people. And the reason we're still talking about them is because they were particularly horrible. Uh, but they're atheists, God bless them. But even they are thinking beyond the grave. They want to be remembered beyond the grave. They don't want to face the reality, in their reality, that when you're dead, you just disappear and float off into the ether as if you never existed. Even atheists don't like that concept. Every religion in the world deals with this. How do you, how do you live forever? How do you, how do you have relationships with people? Like Matt and Matt. I had a bad day at work today. I had a terrible day at work today, right? Then I saw Maddie Mac. I said, you know, things aren't that bad. Maddie Mac's here. I'm okay. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's how I feel. So, like, imagine a world where you would never see that guy again. Like, you're building relationships with these people. Some of you are so close to one another that you would die for one another. I know that. See how you guys look at each other. Real, true, genuine friendships. And then, what, you live 40, 50, 60, 70 years and it's over? Forever? That's it? Eh? See, there's something about the human soul where we go, I don't believe that. There's something about the human soul where we go, no, man, there's, there's got to be something more than that. Like, what is it? So what this guy goes up and he goes, I found a guy who's going to give me the answer to that question. Because in this, guy, in this world, that wasn't even a question as to whether or not there was a life after death. The question was, how can you be good enough to enter it? That's the question. Because you think to yourself, that must have been an amazing existence to be able to live um, forever with your best friends in the world. That's a really good future, and you've got to do something really good to inherit that type of good future. Does that make sense? You can't just stroll up into eternal life just, just like that. You've got to earn it. That's, that's their mindset. So this guy... He goes, okay, I found a teacher. He works miracles. That means God's behind him. He has said stuff that nobody else has said before. That means he must have some inside scoop on this whole thing. What do I do to inherit eternal life? Here's what Jesus says to him. Now, I keep saying this over and over again. I was a kid. I used to be in my room reading my Bible. I used to be so frustrated with Jesus. I'll tell you what. There is no other person in the scripture when I was a child that frustrated me more than Jesus. Here's what the guy asked him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How does Jesus respond? Why are you calling me good? 
no one is good except for God alone. That word alone is very, very, very important. Very important. The word alone eliminates any other possibility. You realize this. So when I was a kid, I used to read this and go, what? why would you say that to the poor man? Here's a guy kneeling on the ground, good teacher, I want to be friends with Manny Mac forever, tell me how to get there. Why are you calling me good? Nobody's good except for God alone. Now, um, usually, you know, I have friends who are Jehovah Witnesses, and if you don't know who Jehovah Witnesses are, that's okay. But they basically believe that Jesus is not truly God, right? They believe that he's a lowercase g God, not a capital G God. And so they'll say to you, have you read this passage? Jesus just said that only God is good. That means Jesus can't be God. What's wrong with that thinking? There's a question, not a statement. One, it's a question, not a statement. And two, do you honestly believe that Jesus is telling the guy, no, I'm not good either? Who wants to die to recognize his God? Exactly. Jesus isn't saying, no, I'm not good either. I'm terrible. Don't listen to me. Jesus is not saying that. What he's saying to the guy is, you're coming at me with all this flattery and you're kneeling, but do you really know who you're talking to? That's the question. That's what that question means. The question means, do you know truly who you're talking to? Because there is nobody truly good except for God alone. So if you're calling me good, are you truly calling me good in the ultimate sense? Do you know who you're talking to? You see, when you go to Jesus, you're reading your scripture, there are all these little elements in the scripture where Jesus is challenging us to come face to face with who he actually is. And who he is, is God with a capital G, and he is ultimately and totally good. But notice, he says, nobody is good but God alone. Who does that exclude? Everybody in this room. Right? So Jesus is looking at a guy who says, I can do some good thing to inherit eternal life. And before he even touches the eternal life question, he says, you're not good, man. You're not good. And do you know who you're talking to? You see, this is one of the major things about human beings. We have this question, are people basically good and then make mistakes once in a while? Or are people basically evil and mistakenly do good things once in a while? You know? <laughs> one of my kids was having an argument, and we're trying to get them to stop lying. And uh, so, child A was lying about something. <clears throat> and they usually plan their lies together so that they can lie to me in a united way. <laughs> Well, they hadn't consulted prior to the interrogation. So, child A says, no, I wasn't talking at all. I wasn't talking at all. I was, I was completely quiet. Well, child B comes around the corner and says, he was trying to help me, so he told me where to go. See, he, he told the truth on accident, you see. If he would have known, he would have told a lie. Here's my point. Are we basically good and we just make mistakes along the way in sin, or are we basically evil and make mistakes and tell the truth once in a while. That's the question. This kid came from the school of thought that, man, you're a good person. You kind of start off neutral, and then, you know, whatever. Jesus says, nobody's good but God. Now listen to how Jesus sets up this question to him. Look what he does then. Verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. What is that? 
God's law. God's law. Ten Commandments. Very, very basic stuff. Okay? Very basic. Here's what happens with people when you define good or evil. I actually had this conversation a couple days ago. I said, I said, um, what is evil? They said, well, Hitler, duh, Stalin, those people over there in Syria chopping people's heads off, they are evil. I said, well, what about, what about a kid who you tell them, don't take those cookies on the cookie jar? And, he, and, and you, you leave the room, and you come back, and there's chocolate chips smeared all across his horrible little face. And you say, what did, did, you, did, you take, did you take those cookies? And the kid goes, no. Everybody's laughing right now. I mentioned ISIS, nobody's laughing. I mentioned Hitler, nobody's laughing. But the kid, chocolate, ha! Well, he lied. He coveted. He dishonored his father and mother. Maybe a little gluttony there, depending on how many cookies he took. <laughs> and this kid just broke four or five commandments. Why is that funny? You know why it's funny? Here's why it's funny. Most of us probably do not struggle with the sin of decapitating people. <laughs> like, you don't wake up today and go, man, I really... <sighs> Steph, you know, during confession time itself... Uh, I, I really struggle with not decapitating people on cameras. <laughs> that's a sin that I, I, that's not something I struggle with, man. I, I don't struggle with that, okay? So I can look at that sin of murder and go, those guys in ISIS, they deserve the death penalty. The wrath of God should rain down on their horrible heads. But then when I see a little kid who's lying, stealing, covetous, Dishonoring father and mother. I laugh at that. You know why? Because that's right up my alley, man. See that? The sins that I am more likely to commit, that's a laughing matter. The sins that I know most likely I will never do, that is terrible. It's just horrible. So Jesus looks at the guy, and he goes down the list, and the guy goes, murder? I got that. Don't you? I'm good with that. Don't steal. I'm good with that. By the way, let me just give you a little hint. This guy is rich. Like, he's filthy rich, this kid. Okay? <clears throat> Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud and honor your father and mother. Now, um, do you really think that this kid spent his entire life never defrauding anyone, never stealing, never lying, and always honoring his mother and father? Do you truly believe he lived his entire life and never broke those commandments? No. Look how he responds. And he said to him, Teacher, all these have I kept from my youth or since I was a boy. I've kept all these from my youth. Now, you know and I know that's a lot. Ecclesiastes says there is no one who, does, is, who is good who never sins. That's what Ecclesiastes says. Genesis chapter 8 says that uh, the intentions and thoughts of man are evil from his youth. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah is saying the human heart is so nasty that we don't even, it fools us. We don't even know how bad we are. And here's this kid who's obviously been fooled by his Jeremiah 17, 9 heart. Obviously. Now, how is Jesus going to respond? 
Does Jesus respond and say, you dirty, rotten liar, don't you understand Christian theology and the doctrine of original sin and the imputation of Adam's sin to you? It's not what he does. Look how Jesus brilliantly exposes to this kid the sin in his heart. We can learn from this teacher. Jesus looking at, watch this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Unbelievable verse. Look at this verse. Jesus looking at him loved him. Here's this kid, delusional, genuinely thinks he's a good person, man. Genuinely believes that he's kept the commandments. Wants desperately to have eternal life. On his hands and knees, Jesus is looking at this delusional kid and he loves him. Looking at him, loved him. Now I'm going to give you a sneak peek. This guy does not end up following Jesus, okay? He turns tail, he's gone. And the last thing we hear of him, he's gone, okay? Now let me ask you a question. Is your, when you look at someone, could they tell that you love them? See, the author is connecting the looking of Jesus to the loving of Jesus. And you can tell when you look at somebody or the way they look at you, whether or not you love them or they love you. So Jesus is the type of person who, when he sees a person in the midst of their sin and completely deluded by their sin, what is his reaction? One of the things that used to happen to me as a kid, I used to picture Jesus in the Gospels, and he's always so stern, all the time. You know, some of you ask yourself that question. When you read the scripture, is Jesus always stern every time he's talking to somebody? I don't think that that was Jesus' default facial expression. I think a lot of times there was a mixture of joy at seeing another image bearer of God. I think there was a mixture of sadness at seeing the way that sin has corrupted this person or this society. And I also think above all of that, you would have seen someone who loves the person he's looking at. You know, when he's going back and forth with the Pharisees, do you have a, a picture in your mind that Jesus is just harsh and hard and just angry and about to punch somebody in the mouth and he's holding himself back? Or... Is Jesus holding himself back from giving that nasty Pharisee a hug and kissing him, saying, I love you anyway? You see? And we got skewed views of who Jesus really, really is. I think, I think there was a lot of times, no matter who you, I mean, think about the way he talked to Pilate. Jesus is beaten, scourged, whatever. He stands before Pilate, and, and, he, and he says to Pilate, for this reason I've come to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate goes, truth. What is truth? How do you think Jesus is looking at Pilate? There's a guy who doesn't even know what the truth is. He's standing, staring you in the face. Jesus is giving witness to Pilate, even as he knows Pilate is going to sentence him to be crucified. Do you only love people when you know they're going to reciprocate the love back to you? Do you only love people when you know that they're going to give you back what you feel you deserve? This is one of the major, major, I'll just be 100, struggles with me. And one of the things I cannot stand is hypocrisy. If you're my friend, we're going to ride and die together. That's my philosophy. You know, I'm from the hood, and we got caught up in really bad things back there in New York, but there was this sense of loyalty. Even if your friend is crazy, you're going to roll with him. So now I'm in like church environment and one people, uh, they're, they're not your friend, they'll talk about you and this and 
well, wait a second. When I look at that person, do they know that I love them? You know, we had a, we had a pretty heavy meeting a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> I, asked, I asked somebody for feedback, and uh, it was Matt, Matt and Matt. I said, man, tell me, tell me about that meeting. Like, what do you think? And he said, I don't know, man. The way you're looking, it was kind of uh, not very encouraging. Now, the dude was dead wrong. And he was dead to rights. We, you know, we had evidence and blah, blah, blah. But you've got to think about things like that. Who cares if he's wrong? Do you love the guy or no? That's the question. Do you love her or not? No matter how bad she's been to you. And I'm not talking about, okay, well, love is more than a feeling. It's in your actions. You know, people say that. Like, so they, inside, they're like, I hate your guts, but I'm going to give you the sandwich, and that means I love you. I don't think so. I don't think that's the way Jesus loved people, man. Like, you can't get looking at him and loved him from that type of definition of love. I know that love is more than just feelings, but it can't be less than that either. If we're going we're gonna to love like Jesus loved, this is the standard. And what a crazy standard that is. Do you realize now why Jesus says nobody's good but God? <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, man, nobody has ever loved but God, really, when you think about it. Alright, so Jesus is looking at this case. I love you, man. You're so wrong, but I love you so much. I mean, when you run into somebody that is like theologically just like off the just crazy, do you still love them? Or is the only focus, man, they're so wrong. Let me explain to you Romans chapter one. <laughs> or, or or do you love them? Alright, okay. <clears throat> Jesus, looking at him, loved him, said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. <clears throat> Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I told you, this kid was rich. Wait, wait, so he loves his stuff in the world more than Jesus. Say again? Well, it's not junk. It's very important, expensive stuff. There's no luggage rack on the way to heaven. Okay? So, let, let's think about this. Jesus knows that this guy doesn't, hasn't followed the commandments to the few like he said he has. But instead of getting into a theological debate, Jesus presses right on the most exposed nerve. What, what's the nerve? His possessions. His possessions were most important to him. That was the nerve. Sell all you have. Now, you know, we, it was really interesting listening to everybody in their testimonies and their talks because they're talking about that tug of war between, you know, them and God. This is what this kid was experiencing right now. You got one Jesus on one side, the good rabbi who's going to bring you to eternal life, and then you got all your stuff on the other side. Your Lamborghini, your, your mansion, your cushy lifestyle, your iPhone, all your cushy, awesome, your, your $6,000 camera. I don't know if you pay $6,000 for a camera. Okay? You got all your cushy stuff over here, man, and then you got Jesus who is saying, hey, if I'm really that good and if eternal life is really that important, you get rid of all that stuff and then all you'll have is me. Is that cool? How does a kid respond? He's disheartened. He is disheartened. Listen to me. 
People didn't always leave Jesus skipping down the road. This dude left. He entered with a full heart. He entered full of hope. He entered with an with a idea that, man, I'm finally going to get the answer I've been looking for my entire life. Full heart. Jesus says three lines to him, and his heart is sliced into little pieces. He is disheartened. I wonder how many of you had that experience with Jesus. Like, you, you come up, you're like, yeah, right, worship Jesus, and bow in front of everybody, I don't care what people think of me, and then you, Jesus does something, you hear something, and you're disheartened like that. You're like, you know what, I'm out of here. The one thing about the Bible is it knows human nature. Now, I can tell you all, a billion different reasons for why I believe the Bible is the word of God. This is probably the number one reason because of how insightful it is to the human condition. And at Cell, we, we have the, the honor and the privilege to see a bunch of new Christians as they're starting out their walk. So I, get, I start to see this pattern. They usually start out, Woo! There's just sparkles everywhere. You get hit by a sparkle. People are so happy. Woo! And then I get the text. I call it the text now. A bunch of dots at the beginning. And I open it. Disheartened. People are disheartened, man. And you look at him, you just love him. That's all. You just, just give me a hug. Let's hug it out. He's disheartened by the saying. He went away sorrowful. Jesus touched the nerve. There's a tug of war. And the guy said, you know what? I'm out of here. Everybody has this, by the way. You, you know... This is a story, everybody judges this poor kid for his possessions. They go, oh my gosh, you just, you choked stuff over Jesus? Meanwhile, you're going home to your boyfriend. Or you're going home to your computer. Or your whatever. Okay, you think, you think this story made the Bible because Jesus is trying to make commentary on rich people? That rich people are bad? You got, you, you got stuff that's keeping you from Jesus. You got chemicals that are keeping you from Jesus. You got boys keeping you from Jesus. You got internet keeping you. You got a whole bunch of stuff, man. That's, you, Jesus is saying, man, get rid of this stuff. And let's be in you go. And you're like, no, Jesus, you want to take from me. See, now here comes the devil. Like what the devil does. The devil goes, see, there's always a catch. Here's the catch. Yes, eternal life would be awesome, but look at all the stuff that Jesus wants to take from you. He's a taker. God is a taker. I would give you both. That's what the devil said. I'd give you both. I'd give you a nice, cushy life, and you could have eternal life. But deep down inside, in the mind of human beings, there's this distrust of God. That's why Jesus started out by saying, man, God is good. If you want to, look, look, if God wants to take something from you, maybe it's because that thing is destroying you. Is that possible? Maybe this guy's riches were destroying him. Maybe your boyfriend is destroying you. Maybe your chemicals are ruining you. Maybe that's true. But this guy 
is not looking at the removal of those things as liberation. He's looking at the removal of those things as Jesus wants to take from me. This is a price I have to pay for eternal life, and it's too high. And this is how this gets preached, by the way. Is that the guy didn't want to pay the price. I don't think that's the issue. Jesus wasn't saying, all right, man, ante up. What he was saying is, man, this is keeping you from me. What about you shall have no idols? That's in the Bible. So you believe that Jesus is from God, that he's got an inside track with God. So God himself is telling you, get rid of your stuff. And you told God, no. You know what that means? That means you worship your stuff, which is the worst commandment of all time to break. That's good. You don't murder people. Good. That's good. But is God the center and totality of your worship? That's the question. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This dude is sorrowful. Verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it would be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished. They said to them, then who can be saved? <clears throat> now, why would, why would that astonish them? And why would they respond by saying, then who can be saved if a rich person can't get in? Well, look, their understanding of rich being rich was kind of very close to the prosperity gospel, which was, if you are rich, if you are swimming in money like that, it's because you're righteous and because God has blessed you. You couldn't be rich like that if God hadn't blessed you. That was their mentality. So when Jesus says, it's almost impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom, they're saying, wait a second, the rich people are the most blessed people, the most godly people in our society. How in the world can we get in there? Because God doesn't love us as much as he loves them. He bless us like that. So you're saying, that guy can't get in? How are we supposed to get in? They completely misunderstood. Being rich is not a sin. Can we agree with that? Being rich is not a sin. You better agree with it as an American. Don't you realize as an American, you're living as a rich person compared to the rest of the world? You flush your toilet with water that people are dying to drink. You're absolutely rich. I know people... I'm going to do it. I know people who are in horrible financial situations that have a better iPhone than me. How is that possible? You're, think about it. There's so many things we take for granted. You drove here, many of you. You have a car. Are you kidding me? The rest of the world... Man, if, you don't, if this verse doesn't check your spirit, that means you don't understand as an American how privileged you are. We are super privileged. I spent a winter one time in a homeless shelter with uh, my mom and my three brothers. Guess what? I lived like a king compared to how people normally live throughout the world, millions of people. Yes, in a homeless shelter. I had three meals a day. It was freezing cold outside. I was inside. I had a shower. Are you kidding me? I had light. They had lights. There's people, literally millions of people on the planet don't even know what a light switch is. Electricity, what? I look like a king in that homeless shelter. 
And the old poor, you know, teachers used to look, oh, poor Andrew, you know, he's, he's in that homeless shelter there. He's such a terrible. Now, look, it, it wasn't fun. I'm not saying I had fun, but I'm saying think comparatively for a second. We are super, super blessed in this nation, man. We are blessed like crazy. This applies to us. It's difficult to enter the kingdom of God. Who then can be saved? This is the point that Jesus wanted the kid to get to. You know, when you were talking about like getting weak and letting go of the rope. This is what Jesus was doing. He was pushing this kid to his breaking point. What the kid was supposed to do was ask another question. Because the one thing as a teacher that you hate is when you know the person has the answer, if they would just ask one more question and they give up. What this kid was supposed to do is go, well, if that's the way to enter eternal life, who can be saved? Because I can't do it, man. I'm attached to all of these possessions, Jesus. How in the world am I going to get eternal life? That is what he was supposed to do. Maybe your relationship with God would be completely revitalized if you just ask him one more question instead of quitting. Just one more question. You see, the disciples, see, this was the difference between this kid and the disciples. When the disciples heard a hard word from God, or they had a hard providence from God, their instinct was to ask another question. A false disciple, when they hear something that they don't like, their instinct is they're done, they're finished, they're leaving. That's the difference. Both of them received Jesus' words is very difficult and hard to comprehend. Same thing happened in John chapter 6. Jesus walks around saying, hey, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What did the false disciples do? They said, who can accept this teaching? We're out of here. What did the real disciples do? Where are we going to go? They asked another question. we got nowhere else to go. See, that's what happens when Jesus becomes your everything. When Jesus is everything to you, no matter what he says, no matter what he does, you're going, well, there's got to be some explanation for it. I mean, we saw this in the last election. There was one guy who, no matter what he said, people were still going to vote for him. And he said it. He said, I can do anything and people are going to vote for me. You know why? Because he knew that he got the trust of those people, that those people put all their eggs in his basket and they said, you're the only guy that can do it. That's how you should relate to Jesus. You run into something in the Bible you don't like, you run into a tough providence, you go, well, there's got to be some reason and he's going to explain it to me, but you know what? There are no other candidates. Do you have other candidates in your life? I wasn't angry, I was just, I mean, this is, this is heaven or hell. I'm not angry, I love all of you. All right. It's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I mean, this is, this is very artistic. It's impossible, right? It's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And Jesus is saying, well, it's easier for that to happen. Who then can be saved? You see, what is the answer to are people basically good? No, you're not basically good, Andrew. How do we inter inherit eternal life? Give everything up and live a flawless life. Then who can be saved then? Here's the answer. This is what this kid would have heard if he would have just stuck around and asked one more question. With man, things are this is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Jesus is saying God has worked something out to where he has made the impossible, not only probable, but inevitable.
God took his rich son, Jesus. You realize that Jesus was kind of rich in heaven, yeah? Paul said it. Be like the Lord Jesus, who being, though he was rich, made himself poor, so that by his poverty you could become rich, Paul said. God took his rich son, Jesus. Jesus abandoned all of his riches and came down here to hang out with us. And then he dies under the wrath of God because of our inability to separate ourselves from our sin and he is risen on the third day and so now by belief in him the impossible becomes inevitable you will inevitably inherit eternal life if you trust in this Jesus that is inevitable if you trust Jesus but if you trust in yourself and in your ability to make the grade you're done so Jesus pushes this kid to the limit to see you can't make it happen. And the answer is because only God can make it happen. Why? Because only God is good. So good teacher Jesus came down and, and was good on our behalf. Don't trust in your goodness to get you eternal life. You're not good. No, you trust in the goodness of Jesus and that is where you get eternal life. Peter began to say, we left everything and followed you. Because you know what? That's good news that God can do cool stuff, but I have lost friends because of this Jesus thing. Haven't you? Haven't you gotten conflict with family members because of this Jesus thing? This happened, Like I said, I see new Christians all the time, and this happens like clockwork. I watch your Facebook. I Facebook stalk you pastorally. <laughs> Pastorally Facebook stalking, and I see how people start reacting to you. Temperatures change. People get angry. Peter goes, look, man, I, I left my little fishing business. Now, it's not, it's not like this guy, but I left my fishing business. I followed you. What about us? Look, at, look, look how Jesus responds. Now, how is Jesus supposed to respond? I would expect Jesus to say, Peter, you are grateful. What do you mean? What? So, am I not enough for you? See, some of us are more spiritual than Jesus. We go, oh, I don't want anything. I just want to get there. That's not Peter's mentality. Peter's mentality is, look, man, I left everything. So, I mean, what about that? You know why? Because I'm still hearing that chattering in my, the back of my head that you're just trying to take stuff from me. Like, that's your mentality, man, is you're a, big, you're a big taker. I keep hearing that. So what about that, Jesus? See, what I love about Peter is he, he's not afraid to say what people are thinking. Everybody that was following Jesus was thinking that. But only Peter had the guts to say what he really felt. Now, the loop isn't closed. It's good that we get eternal life, but there's still a lingering problem here. I got a fishing business that I left behind for you, so what about us? Listen to how Jesus responds. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sister, or mother, or father, or children. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Children, or lands, for my sake, and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands of persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life, that many who are first will be last, and the last 
will be first. Jesus is saying, I'm not trying to take from you. I'm not trying to take from you to take from you. I want to take that stuff out of your hands and give you something better. Some of you are so spiritual that you don't even like this verse. What do you mean? You serve Jesus and you receive a hundredfold in this time and in the age to come. You're so spiritual. You want to just be poor your whole life. Well, look, do I believe that this means you're going to be rich now? I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because the, uh, the apostles weren't rich. They died in pretty horrible conditions. But there is a sense in which this has to be real at some level. We are going to be rewarded for the things that we do in the body. Doesn't Paul say that? And notice, what comes with the reward? You will receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, you get houses, you get brothers back, you get sisters back, you get mothers back, you get children back in this life. What's he talking about? Here's what he's talking about. It's like Robbie said. He said, man, I never had a family. Isn't that what he said when he got up here? I said, man, you went up here and you, you, you spoke from your heart in front of a bunch of people you don't know. Well, there's, well, that's true in one sense, and in another sense, it's not true. We are a family. Jesus says, you know what? You follow me, you're going to lose some of your blood family. But look. Oh, you don't have a place to stay because they kicked you out of your house? Look. Your mother and father disown you? Look. You know, you got Tabby will come over and give you a hug. Shout out to Spirit Mama. Shout out to Spirit Mama. Look at all the... Man, don't you realize, think about this, he's talking about the church as a reward for faithfulness. That's mind-blowing. That's who you are. I know I was going to preach this verse, I see that. You know, I heard Robbie and he's like, yeah, man, you know, I never had a family. I'm like, he gets it. Not all completely there yet, but he totally gets it. Yes, that's what we are. This is a reward. Now you're going to have even more rewards than that, but you get houses, you get brothers, you get children. And notice, what does it say? With persecutions. Peter says, man, we gave everything up for you. What's our reward? Jesus says, you're going to get persecuted. Huh? Amen. Come on. Amen. Come on. You know what? That doesn't make any sense. There's the devil. That doesn't make any sense. Shut up, devil. Listen, when we get persecuted for the name of Christ, we're walking in the footsteps of Christ. What do you mean? Amen. Amen. Are you kidding me? What else is there to do? What are you going to do with your time? Look, bad things are going to happen to you regardless. At least when you're working for Christ, you get persecuted for Christ, you're submitting to it. You know, look, all your friends on Facebook, you know, three quarters of them don't even like you. I'm sorry. But at least when they tell you they don't like you, it's for Jesus' sake. It means something. Persecution is a gift. It is a gift. Acts chapter 4, when they got persecuted, they were dancing. It's to praise God. You know, some of us got spit on in Planned Parenthood. We made this great announcement. Man, we got spit on. Praise God. You know, I don't get jealous a lot. I really don't. But, you know, Brian, you know, the kid almost got arrested. He had to flee. I mean, it was crazy. Man. 
I said, what did I do wrong, Lord? Help me get persecuted. You know, back in the day, they used to have, they used to have, uh, the bishops used to have these rules about, like, you couldn't just go and, like, throw yourself in a lion's pit and get yourself martyred. Like, the Christians were going up to these, uh, these proconsuls and saying, hey, I'm a Christian, so don't you want to burn me alive and stuff? I mean, this was a mentality in the early church. Persecution was a gift. You gave all that stuff up. Good. Now you get to be persecuted, but you'll be doing it in the context of your family. You'll be doing it with your mothers and your brothers. You're, you lost your kids. You're going to have children that you will love like your own blood. He's going to give that to you in the church. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. You know, every church has their superstars. God's up there in heaven looks just smiling, like, okay, all right. We don't know who the first are here. You have assumptions. I know who the last are here. I know that. <laughs> the, the last are generally the people up front that are getting all the credit, generally. Some of you, you're, you're, you're more amazing than you have any idea. You have no idea. And God is not trying to take from you because he's a taker. He wants to take from you because he's a giver. There is a sense in which the stuff you hold on to is junk. There is a sense in which a Lamborghini and whatever is junk, or your boyfriend. I don't even have to convince you that your boyfriend's junk. You know that. Just pick up. But there is a sense in which all that is junk in comparison to, what did, what did Paul say? The weight of glory that will be revealed in us when this is all over. And when this is all over, you're going to need a resurrection body to be able to withstand all the glory that's on your head. Huh? You're going to need a resurrected neck to hold up that crown because there's going to be so much weight of glory when this is all over. We got a few years, man, and then this is gone. All right. I love you guys. All right, let's pray. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, proclaiming the kingdom of God for the sake of the city. For more resources, visit cell53.com.